Bless up. Major key alert. Real life. They don't want to see us win. We the best. You don't love me no more? Another one. We the best. So, Tara, I have one question for you. What? Best. Are what? The best? <laughs> that was very poorly executed. You don't love me no more? <laughs> Another one. All right. Are you ready to roll? Do you have all of the ones identified as don't push this one? <laughs> Something that makes that you have to edit now. Gada, gada. All right. Yeah. Young money. All right. Welcome to the Blazers Edge podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs here as always with Blazers outsider Danny Morang. And a warning to everyone, Dan has a new soundboard that he's been playing with quite liberally. So there may be a few extra noises in tonight's podcast, which I'm so excited for this challenge. Oh, it's going to be good times. It's going to be good times. Mm-hmm. So Danny, the, I just got you're back. You're just afraid I'm going to push one of these that I can't, that I shouldn't push. I know. Well, we already had to go through the the list of them so that you could try them all out. But time is a wasting, and I got to work tomorrow morning. So let's. Oh, that wasn't going. all of them. There, there's so many more. I I just knew immediately which ones I could and couldn't push for the most part. So. All right. Do you have your allowed set ready to go? Ah, uh, you may have to edit. But we'll, we'll we'll work it out. That would have good been a good time to insert one right there. <laughs> Okay, listen, I just got back from Vegas. I am no longer a gambling virgin. <laughs> I am so excited. The thing is, like, you didn't even have to go to Vegas to do it, but go ahead. Go ahead. What, what, let's. Well, I wanted. How, so, how, was, how was your first experience? Okay, I wanted the experience of gambling in Vegas. And I know, partly Sports because gambling. I know. Let's, let's go ahead and, and, and emphasize that. Sports gambling, gambling. yes. Sports gambling, not, not at the tables. No, God, no. I'm so far away from like being brave enough to step up to one of those tables and trying that. I That's never going to happen. Oh, whoa, whoa. You, but you haven't been to the tables either? No. Are you kidding me? The tables are easier. Oh, my gosh. No. You step, you step up. You put money on the table. Get your chips. Play your blackjack. Play your poker. Yeah, play you got to concentrate and play the whole game. No, okay, this, you just cash out. This this whole thing about gambling being easy was just like had me in a complete tizzy. So here's the story. <laughs> so I was going down to Vegas and I was sure I wanted to go through the exercise of putting a bet on a game. So going to a sports book. So I asked like all my friends who I know who gamble because they talk about gambling like they know about gambling all the time. And everyone's like, oh, it's super easy. I'm like, okay, so what do you do? And they're like, well, you go to a sports book and then you place a bet. And I'm like, that's super not helpful. (laughs) (laughs) So like I had to do, I had to get all my really good information off of Google. So I'm like there Googling, like, how do you place a bet on a basketball game? And And uh, I mean, Dan for step by step. Yeah. And you're giving me nothing. All you're saying is it's really easy. And you're not the only one who is providing such information. Everyone's just like, oh, all you do is you go there and you give them your money and you tell them what you want to bet on. I'm like, how am I going to decide what I'm going to bet on? There's like a million things to bet on. A I, did, different I, did ways. Give you, I did give you what the, 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 the typical game props were. Your over-unders, your... Um, your uh, yeah, it's easy, Dan. Yeah, it's just right off the tip of your tongue. Oh, my God. I was trying to remember exactly what I had given you. Come on, quit busting here. No, you, you told me it was easy. And so then I went to Google and I looked up how to gamble and how to place a bet in Vegas. I found out that the sports book is actually just a fancy name for the place in the casino where they take your money to bet on games. Everybody had to call it a sports book like it's something fancy. So I had to, like, crack that code. Well, there is an actual sports book in Las Vegas, though. There's too. like a what, like a big giant book somewhere. <sighs> God. You know, you know what's really great is when just the second you you Googled how to gamble, every casino in Las Vegas perked up and tried to find you. Yeah, well, they didn't do a very good job because <laughs> I didn't get very far. So anyway, so I go and I go up there and I finally find the the place where you go to place the bet. And I like I knew which games were going on. I knew I wanted to bet on basketball because that's like the thing that I know anything about. And I knew I didn't want to bl- bet on the Blazers because like I read on Google they said don't bet on the team that you follow because then you'll get mad at them if they lose so I thought that seemed like good advice so I chose the game 
And I think it was San Antonio versus Los LA. Angeles. Yep. And I had already decided how I was going to bet. And then I told you that I, that I figured out which game I was going to bet. And then you assumed that meant that I wanted advice. I didn't actually want advice. That was like the one thing I didn't okay. want advice on. However, you offered me advice, which I took, and then I subsequently lost. Okay. Yep, you did. I, I told you to take the under on the Spurs and the Lakers because the Lakers had, up to that point, been playing particularly well defensively. Uh, they weren't scoring all that well. The Spurs, with the exception of their blowout performance of the Blazers, had struggled a bit offensively, but their defense had been suspect. And then LeBron goes off for 42 and has one of his signature performances and absolutely shatters the, the over on the game. Well, they end up going over like 19. Yeah, uh, that, yeah. I, I knew it was going to be a high-scoring game because both teams have recently been not scoring very high, and I figured they were just going to unleash on each other. Yeah, but the over was, wasn't it like 226 and a half? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it wasn't a low, a low number. I like, know, but like my, every fiber in my being was go with the over, and then I, I doubted myself, and I lost. So I went back to make another bet because I was an expert by this point. <laughs> and I can't remember what the other game that I – oh, it was a – I can't remember what it was. But this time I went with my instinct, and I also lost. So <laughs> This is there at the window. Just I think my gambling it's- career is over. <laughs> But I did it, and that was the exciting thing. Is I just I wanted to see what it was like, and so I did it. And I sat there. I found a place to watch the Blazers play the Phoenix game. I was in one of those sports books, as the kids call them, and it had like you know fifty different screens. And I was like, could you just turn this one into the Blazer game? Because I know that everybody here probably doesn't act like probably nobody in this entire casino wants to watch this game. But could you turn it on for me? And so they were very nice, and I got to watch. The whole Blazers Phoenix show. I got to see the Jake Lehman mustache game, so that was exciting, and that was really. I'm just sure a the priceless. entire casino was was in there, just loving the Phoenix Portland act. <laughs> That's screen. why I just asked him to put it on like one little screen and I chose like the most unobtrusive like back corner because <laughs> also I didn't want it on the big screen if the Blazers like lost because that would have been like so, so, so bad. Yeah, you would have heard somebody screaming in the corner who, who picked the Suns with probably the massive number that Phoenix was getting that night and he just decided to throw 50 bucks down on it because he was a true gambling monster and really wanted to see that big time upset. Yeah. So anyway, so that was, that is what I, what I learned this week. I think that I've had my fill, uh, but I do want to talk to you about, well, so the Phoenix game, that was when they absolutely couldn't lose. (laughs) What? The game doesn't matter. I mean, I I I mean, it would have mattered if they'd lost. Oh God. Yes. It would have mattered a ton if they had lost, but thank God. So Joe and Shane came to me probably about like an hour and a half before the game. We were prepping for the show. And we were kind of like half joking. And then Joe just seriously is like, dude, what happens if they lose this game? And uh, my reaction was phone calls will be made. And people will be on the trading block. Jobs will be on the line. Like that's, that's how serious that game would have been if it was a loss. Okay, let's put this in perspective. Um, Chicago just got the crap kicked out of them after they fired their coach. I know they didn't get the bounce back win. They, they, <laughs> Not at all. Record for defeat, 56 points. You have a near mutiny at practice the next day. Like, I'm not putting Portland on that level, but, I mean, that's how quickly things can escalate. Like, if you lose a game that you are so clearly destined to win, it is just hell on earth. For everybody within our organization. Well, I thought Hoiberg got fired before that game. He did. But and then I, they're gonna, now are they going to fire the interim coach? Yeah, Boylan is already on the hot seat. Like Oof. Hoiberg was let go because he lost the locker room. Right. And, and Boylan comes in and there's a damn near a mutiny. Like, like if, if Hoiberg got fired for losing the locker room, what does this guy get? I mean, they, they were talking about boycotting practice. I know. I read a tweet that said that it was um, Robin Lopez and... Um, oh, Lori Markkinen. 
They were they were the, the they were the, the voice of reason, and you know yes. how how much Robin Lopez probably did not want to have that role. He no, was he, probably I mean, just like, the, "Don't make me do this." Yeah, he's the savvy, old, you know, old sage vet on the team. Yeah, but so that's probably the yeah. last thing that he wants to be doing right now. Yeah, being, I mean, being that role on that he's, team, he's not in a happy place right now. I can I can almost certainly assure that. Well, let's go to a happier place and talk about the Blazers game against Minnesota. I I was I attended game that, that game. That, I was thrilled to watch the Blazer win, although I was in, like, these super uncomfortable seats. It was, like, they were super nice. Somebody, like, wasn't able to use their tickets, so they gave me the seats, and it was awesome, and they were, like, close, and I was, like, loving it. But, like, there was no leg room, and I thought my husband's legs were going to fall off because they were just – there was <laughs> our, our uh, knees were up under our chins, and we were like, should we go back to our regular seats in the 300 just, to, like, to stretch our legs for a minute? You were channeling the uh, the outsider spirit in the chairs that we have to sit in. Yes, that's what I was just trying to I was just trying to empathize with you Dan um so the Blazers beat a good Timberwolves team and I thought it was an exciting game because it was close it was came down to the wire and because the Blazers won is there anything that we can take from this performance do you think um yeah a couple things one Damian Lillard deserves to be in MVP discussions Mm -hmm. Uh, and be voted into the all-star game Listen, I'm not disagreeing with you. I just don't think it's feasible. We'll, 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 we'll not keep, with that attitude. We'll keep hitting on it, but I just it's it's market size. But um, like, if you want to asterisk something, Robert Covington didn't play, and he was one of the the hottest non-star players coming into that game. So there, there's your asterisk if you're looking for anything. I would call that consider that a very weak asterisk. Again, it is, and like this is just kind of like pointing out everything. But beyond Damian Lillard. And what he's done this season, which has been phenomenal. Um, Yusuf Nurkic continues to be really good. Mm-hmm. Like, in, incredibly good on, on both ends. And, and the, the one thing that we've harped on, on on the show over the last couple of weeks is that we wanted to see Yusuf Nurkic get more involved um, on every possession. Like, mm-hmm. getting Nurk in a pick and roll, whether or not that's the, the play or, the, or it's a part of a decoy is going to get you, you know, good things happening because Nurk it sets great screens. It, it forces the defense to scramble. When Nurk rolls down the middle, it's gravity going down the middle of paint that nobody else in this team has. And if you have that gravity going down the middle, it disrupts opponents' defenses. And we saw that all night. Cat could not handle him. Taj could not handle him. Yusuf Nurk is just so damn big. Minnesota doesn't have somebody who can handle him. He he only ended up he, he ended up seven of ten, which is phenomenal. But what was frustrating for me was that he only got 10 shots. Mm-hmm. I One of the things that I was trying to figure out last night is what what was Nurkic doing or what was Kat not doing? That is it just simply a matter of size and that Nurkic just has that much weight on him? Or did he – I felt like he got a little bit under Kat's skin and, uh, you know, with that foul, that hard foul they, to they his got face. Him, they, got him, they got Kat in foul trouble because Nurkic was physical. Uh-huh. When, when Nurkic is physical, how many guys in the league can physically play with him? You've got Embiid. You've got Jokic when he cares. Um, I don't think Jokic can go physically at him. He can he, out-finesse him, but I don't no, think he, he, can he can physically he can out-maneuver him. No, he can body him. And that's what I'm saying. Like, Who has just the actual size? Tyson yeah. Chandler does out of like pure like sh- and sheer will. JaVale McGee can because he is even though he, people think of him as skinny, he's a he's a big dude and he's incredibly long. But I mean, there aren't many guys in the league who physically can handle Nurkic when he wants to engage and and be physically dominant. And Cat's not a guy who's who's going to get into that at all. Mm-hmm. That's just not that's just not his game. You said something that I think is really key, and that is when Nurkic wants to. And I feel like this year he comes to basically every game wanting to. And I think yes. that's the difference with him this year. Yeah, and, and that's why I've advocated him being more involved in the offense. The the, the black eye on the night for him was six turnovers. Mm-hmm. Um, well, some that's the of the team. Yeah, and th- that has been a bit, bit of a bugaboo lately. Um, but they've been, and as much as I harp on it, they've been – the turnovers have not been more of like the sloppy play, although those do persist. They've been more of like trying to make a play. And if you've listened to me over the last couple of years, I, well, I'm, I don't like it when they make mistakes. 
if you're going to make a mistake, make a mistake at 100% and trying to make something happen. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of like that catch-22 we were talking about on Twitter earlier, the bounce passes. Yusuf Nurkic throws the best bounce pass on this team. And he finds guys being with his with his size and an ability to look over the defense from the high post. That bounce pass that he threw to Damian Lillard in the back cut last night may have been the pass of the year. That long one from the, long the one that, three from outside yeah. the three point line. Yeah, that he threw to Lillard. He he didn't throw it to Dame. He threw it to a spot, mm-hmm. and it was right where Dame was going to be. It was absolutely perfect. It was an just a. a the, the level of basketball IQ and the skill necessary to make that play and to see that play, that's the kind of stuff we normally see from Jokic. And I think Nurkic, while not the, the passer that Jokic is, I think he can get close to that level. And that's why I want to see the ball run through him more often. Mm-hmm. So he had, well, he was 7 of 9, is that what you said? on 7 of 10, against, 7 7 of 10. 10 from the field, 8 of 9 from the free throw line. And we talked about that coming into the season, right? Like, where could Nurkic really make up the difference to, to, to up his scoring? Because remember when we came in, I said 17-11 should be where he ultimately ends up the season. And he's Maybe going to surpass that. He's, what he's is he got, right now? He's got a little ways to go uh, on the uh, scoring end. But he's, he's at, right now he's at 15-11. But he's shooting 75% from the free throw line, Tara. He's mm-hmm. a career 63% free throw shooter. He's That's, comfortable. He's relaxed. Yeah. He's he's able to do it. Who who do you think those shots should be or you know the more opportunities to handle the ball? Like if 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 Nurk's going to have the ball more, who's going to have it less? Who do you, what do you think? I would take a few shots away from Amino. I would take a few shots away from basically anybody not named Dame or CJ. Mm-hmm. Like for me in the You wouldn't take some away from CJ if he's having an off night? No, because he he always finds a way to bounce back into it. I mean for people that want to criticize CJ as far as his shooting and scoring, um, there was a synergy stat that was thrown out the other day, the, the top 10 players in the league who use 20 possessions or more per game. Um, oh, and interesting. Scoring per possession, I think Damian Lillard was third or fourth, and, and CJ was eighth. Hmm. Hmm. So their points per possession is about as good as it gets. Right. So people wanting to take the ball out of their hands, it's, it's not a good call. There's a reason why that quote-unquote hero ball with Damian Lillard, why more often than not it works. Mm-hmm. Because over the long run, Damian Lillard is going to win you more position, more possessions than he's going to lose. Well, and that's interesting too, because one of the, there, you know, there's a couple of things that even after good games that we sometimes look at and are like, why can't the Blazers do more of this? Like, or less of. Like, so turnovers is always one thing. That's something that's really been kind of a sticking point uh for for this team and then the other thing is assists and you know the Blazers being so low in the amount of assists that they get but I just don't think that this team is built to get a lot of assists and I'm happy to see that they are getting more assists right now because I certainly don't want them to like get the fewest assists because I think that is a problem but I just don't think that they with with Dame and CJ are ever going to be a team that you know is very high in the number of assists that they get because like you were saying they are so efficient you know the good thing is is they are I think the team is sharing the ball more in terms of looking for a better pass I, f- I found that a lot last night they got which and it was something they were doing at the in the better at the beginning of the season is they yep. were passing it around to look for a better shot I think I said pass but they were looking for a better shot and I really felt like they got back to that last night I don't know why they abandoned it for a while but I felt like they kind of got back to that especially the bench yeah so here here's the thing it's personnel so if you have inconsistent shooting then your assist percentage is going to drop down like if you look at Damian Lillard's potential assists he's up there with with some of the top assist guys in the the league and I think a lot of that has to do with guys going through funks Mm -hmm. Aminu had a what a two for 20 spell from three Harkless couldn't hit anything when he first came back. Seth Curry has struggled from the field. I mean, 41% of Dame's assists go to Yusuf Nurkic. Mm-hmm. So that, that leaves the rest of the team for less than 60%. So if those guys aren't hitting, then it shows up big time in Dame's numbers. And the thing is, is, Dame's numbers are actually pretty decent right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's averaging t- over 27 a game on the season. And we were talking about this off the podcast. 
right now, if, if Dame keeps this up, he has a legitimate chance to break the scoring record, the single-season scoring record for the, for the Trailblazers. 27.2 is what Clyde Drexler had. That's that's the record, folks. And he's right at that right now? Yes, he's right at mm-hmm. that right now. Yeah, uh, and we haven't even hit that part of the year where he really turns it on. <laughs> this is typically his worst time of the year. And so he, if he hasn't fully found that gear yet, that's insane. Oh, I'm so... I'm so excited. I, they, the Blazers really needed that win, at least for the fans, I think. Yeah, that obviously a Suns loss would have been full-time to panic, but a, a loss to the Timberwolves there, I don't think it would have been panic time, but I, it would have triggered probably that players-only meeting. It would have been. It would have felt really defeated. It would have just been like, ugh, yeah, this, this was much more uplifting. If you want a takeaway from that game, I think more than individual – that um, stands out to me the most. You know what the Minnesota Timberwolves didn't do in that entire game? Oh, let's see. I feel like this is a pop quiz and what they didn't do. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Let me have it. They did not have a single 30-point quarter. Oh, right, right, right. What the Blazers been giving up? That's been a long time. Quite- yes, they went a whole game defensively without giving up a single 30-point quarter. Hell yes. That's that's what I want to see. Like that's that's a much better benchmark I think than anybody else can really kind of peg. Mm-hmm. Because it just shows a steady level of commitment. Yeah, they kept it up all the way through. They didn't have to yeah. like either sustain, you know, a 40 point third quarter by the other team or whatever they were able to just handle the whole handle it the whole time exactly and that's what kept the game tight pretty much the entire time and honestly i mean if we look at it and and this isn't about like revisionist history but if jake layman is hitting the shots that he's that he's getting last night that game's not even not even close not even close no, not even close. Well, you brought up Jake. Let's talk about Jake and Mo for a minute before we get into our Twitter questions. Because this is this is the biggest debate right now. Uh huh. Is those minutes right? Well, I think so. I was fully prepared to um to advocate for Jake. Well, I've been. I, I want Jake to get minutes. I don't want Jake to not play. Mm-hmm. But. Looking at how the Blazers started the season, like the big obvious difference was that when Jake was in the starting lineup, the Blazers were winning. And then when Mo came back and he got reinserted into the starting lineup, the Blazers no longer were winning at the same clip. So I was like fully prepared to go in and, you know, look through the stats and come out and say, all right, we need Jake to start. But I knew that like there was some reason Stotts was not doing that. Like Stotts wouldn't, you know, (laughs) Stotts had his reasons. So between the first week Mo came back and the second week he came back, his statistics, you know, just the box score stats increased so dramatically that to me it was clear that like, yeah, this was a case of him working his way back in. And when he is engaged and when he's back, you know, Layman is always engaged. And that's one thing that I like about him. Like he never turns it off. He's always going and he never, ever hesitates. He never gets spooked. If he starts missing shots, he just keeps shooting. So that's one thing I love about Jake. But like we've talked about on here before, when Mo is at his best, they are so good. And if they can just figure out how to have Mo give his best. And this last week has been a really good example of you know, what the best Mo can be like. And it was like just a reminder that we hadn't had for a while, but maybe now that he's had a taste of it. Yeah. I I mean, I wrote about this on Saturday and my suggestion was, and Stotts ultimately ended up having, I guess, this, the, the same idea. And this is not me saying that Stotts is listening to me by any way, shape, matter, or form here. But I, I think it was kind of on the wall, so to speak, was that Seth, uh, Seth Curry's minutes needed to go to Jake Lehman. Right. Seth I mean, hasn't been performing. It's not like a shot at Seth. He just hasn't found a way to get his groove back. I think he needs to prove it to, to get on the floor. Um, granted, Jake was two of 10 last night against Minnesota. But as we were talking about before the podcast, there was not a single shot in that game that Jake took where I wasn't thinking it was a good shot. Mm-hmm. Like every shot he took was in rhythm, in the flow of the offense, at the right place, at the right time. Everything about it checked out. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he never it. hesitated. He never yep. got the ball and thought, ooh, what should I do? And then shot. He got the ball and he shot. Yeah. 
And that's a level of confidence that I think Portland needs to see because when when you're doing that, even when your shot isn't falling, and I, I think at this point in time we can say that Jake is, is a more than capable shooter. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a safe assumption. He's streaky, but he... But he, capable. Capable, yeah. And if, if with shooters, you, you, you got to shoot. Yeah, there's a reason that's a saying. <laughs> yeah, and, and the other thing is is that beyond the threes... Like Jake is kind of the epitome of the the new era of basketball. Where does Jake Lehman shoot? From three or at the rim with a dunk? I mean, he takes high efficiency shots or he doesn't really take them. And the one thing that I really love about Lehman, I think why I want to see him on the floor, especially with the starting group, is he's kind of a Nick Batum, J.J. Redick type player in that he has constant motion. He constantly makes mm-hmm. defenders chase him around through screens, over screens, over uh, pin downs, uh, elevator plays. Uh, every chance he gets, he's just running guys ragged. And that that wears a defense down. And when he catches the ball, it's either he keeps it moving or he takes the shot. And it's just click, 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 click. And I think having that on a team that has so few of those guys is just an incredibly valuable resource. Now, are you saying you want to see him playing with the starters or you want to see him start? I want to see him get some time with the starters okay. because I think that's... When we think about Mo or Chief offensively, and I know Chief has done a few things lately off the dribble that have been not Chief-like. <laughs> and I, I mean that in a positive manner. Like, he's, he's taken the ball to the rim a few times. Talk about a backhanded compliment. Jeez. Well, I mean, come on. <laughs> Have you seen him do it in any other eight years he's been in the league? You mean effectively, like, drive attack to the him. rim and attack? Yeah. Well, it has certainly not been a cons- consistently successful, that's for sure. Okay. so But give him, I mean, give him credit no, for what, has, he's, what he has done for this team over the last couple of weeks. Yes, he had a very terrible drought, games. and but, he has come back yeah. on fire. Yeah, he, he's been great. Um, the other night, he was 5-9. and nine. The only real sh- shots he missed were from three, but... With Aminu in his offense, he's a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. He's standing in the corner. He's standing on the wing, right? Jake Lehman is, is, is more traditional in the sense of he's running off of screens. He's running the baseline. He's, he's, he's running the floor. Um, and it's I, great to have options. Yeah, and I think it's a, a nice little counter to teams that are used to guarding a more stagnant shooter. The same is true of Harkless. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, Harkless will move for the occasional back cut, but I think Layman's a guy that is is constantly looking for the opportunities to make those back cuts, mm-hmm. and I and that's not a knock on any of those guys. That's just how like people talk about. We wanted JJ Redick on our team. Well, there's a reason why that JJ Redick is, is so successful because there's so few guys in the NBA who have that engine, who have that motor, and the willingness to just. Batum was the same way. Batum constantly led the league in distance traveled while he was in Portland. Yeah, I, I was just going to go there because CJ has has led the league in that, and I would love to like extrapolate because I know Jake doesn't play as many minutes, but I'd love to extrapolate and compare CJ and Jake. just for a minute. Yeah, yeah, because Jake is constantly just constant motion, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that those kind of players are rare. Like the guys with those kind of engines, the motor that just never stops. I mean, as a defender, you're sitting there like, God, I do not want to run with this guy all yeah. night. Right. Yeah. No, that's a that's a great point. Well, I'm just I'm just so happy that they were able to come out with a, a good win against a decent team, even if they didn't have Covington. No, no. It, <laughs> and it was a good win and it was a team win. I mean, you had four guys in double figures uh, field goal attempts. Um, Dame, CJ, Nurk, Lehman, uh, Farouk with nine, Hark with six, Turner with six. Stauska struggled, struggled. But I mean, like, it's just. It's just nice to see that when really for the last couple of games, Dame has had this mentality of like, screw this, I'm taking over, I'm getting this win, which is nice to fall back on on a rough night. Right. But we don't want to have that be a habit. <laughs> no, I, I like the fact that Dame has only averaged 30 up until last week, like 34 minutes a game. Now, the past week, though, Dame's averaged almost over 37 a game. That's that's quite the uptick, and I think that's more about Dame going to Stotts or Stotts saying we need you know Dame on the floor more, 
and Dame taking it upon himself. We've seen some changes in the rotation where Dame has been out there longer than usual than we've seen mm-hmm. for the rest of the season. Um, I, I'd like to find the happy medium there because yeah. I, I don't want to burn him out. Yeah, we'll have to keep our eye on that, especially because as we were talking about before, there's usually a time of year where his feet uh, start to bug him like around Christmas time. Yep. So hopefully, I mean, and this is, you know, we've m- talked about it a million times, this brutal schedule coming up, you know, every other night for here till eternity, it seems like they'll be playing. So it'd be nice if they can uh, pull it back. And it, and it's, and the thing is, is even when guys are struggling from the field, they still last night were able to, you know, do something that, you know, brought energy to the team. Like that mm-hmm. little flip behind the back, Stauskas passed to, I think it was Lehman. Those, yeah, he has one of those every damn night. I know. He does so something nice. fun and just energizing every time. But my favorite play of the night um, had to have been the Dame to CJ at the very, very end to ice the game. That's that a was time play. so fantastic. A, because, you know, CJ made it. But Mm -hmm. what I loved is I was following them after the shot. And the two of them coming together was just, it was so beautiful. Because Dame just, like, he just, like, he was bursting with pride in terms of, like, I knew you could do that, CJ. I knew you can do it. And, like, CJ just, like, went right over to him. And they slapped and they hugged right in the middle of the court. And I was like... That is like the epitome of what this team can be when everything is clicking. And I just love that moment between those two because it was like Damien could have tried it again because he was on a hot one, but he gave it over to CJ and CJ was able to make it. So yeah, I'm, I'm actually really glad that moment. you brought that up because in that period, Dame had that long fadeaway two contested that he hit and it was the epitome of no, 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 <laughs> because he had Nurkic. When are you going to learn? <laughs> Well, just let Dame take him. <laughs> I, I love Dame. I love that he's able to improvise. That he's this kind of jazz player when he's on the court, just kind of on his own beat. But I'd be lying if I'd say I just don't. Sometimes that I just want him to make the easy play. Mm-hmm. And there are times where I think both him and CJ, because of their size, their vision is obscured or limited by longer, stronger, physical defenders, and that. Particularly, this is where I want to see Nurkic get more involved. Because when in, in late time, crunch time period, they're going to blitz Dame, they're going to blitz CJ, and Nurkic is going to be that pivot guy. And what we saw the Pelicans do was, when Nurk would catch, they'd have somebody there, long, rangy, you know, the Anthony Davis types, to get him off rhythm or out of base. But I, I want to see them make that play. I want to see Nurkic learn how to make the right read on the catch, whether it's the pass to the short corner, whether it's the skip pass to the far corner, or whether it's the catch it under control and attack. And there was actually a play where earlier in the game, um, or earlier in that period, Dame had that unbelievable kind of, again, that, that drop pass to Nurkic where he caught it short of the restricted area. And instead of trying to attack and probably drawing the offensive foul, he just elevated straight up and went with kind of a baby hook and finished in traffic. And I was like, that's the play right there, big fella. But, but again, to your point with the, the idea of, of getting it to CJ, Dame could have taken the shot, but he held the ball an extra second, drew the second defender squarely and Minnesota cheated off CJ. They, they left CJ McCollum. Like I guarantee that's a play that Thibodeau shows the Timberwolves the next day. Mm-hmm. Like there's just there's just no way because that's that's a fundamental defensive breakdown. But CJ has struggled in the in the clutch lately, and for I, I think that play means a ton more for CJ individually than it means for anybody else. The, the confidence for Dame and the trust again we've heard Chief talk about this a bunch, but for Dame to defer and for CJ to not only take it but to hit it. That means for this team going forward, I think, means a lot more than just this one game. Right. Well, and and like I said, Damien's body language just captured that so beautifully that I knew you could do this, mm-hmm. that he just radiated. It was awesome. Okay, let's go to our Twitter questions. 
We got a bunch, so we got to we got to yeah. focus and get through these. First one is from our uh, fellow Blazers edge writer Brian Freeman. He says it feels like we've already seen the Blazers at their best and their worst. Do you feel that way? And if you do, at what level in between do you think Portland will play out going forward? I think we've probably seen them close to their worst, but I don't think we've necessarily seen them at their best. Wow. We have, we have not had a game where the big three are all firing. And it, that doesn't happen very often in the NBA for any team, unless you're the Warriors and you've got a big seven. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like, I want to see the game where Dame and CJ are hitting inside and outside. And honestly, I want to see the game where we kind of see a, a point Nurkic. Oh. I'm, I'm getting to that point, and we've had a couple of those games. Do you want the Nurkic triple-double? I do. I want it so bad. <laughs> okay, the, the give-and-go play between Dame and Nurkic against the Timberwolves. Yeah. That was – you had your favorite play. That was my favorite play of the evening. It was either that or the bounce pass that Nurkic threw to Dame that was absolutely obscene. Mm-hmm. But, but they I, both were Nurkic assists. Again, yes. I, I think that adds the wrinkle because – Teams can't blitz or trap Nurkic at the high post. That, that to me, seems like the most logical counter mm-hmm. going forward for teams that want to do that. Let teams go to the dribble. Because we see the, the Blazers do it when, when Damon Myers are on the floor. Mm-hmm. Because Myers is such an effective screen setter and a very good passer that when you let Myers operate and you give him space to see over the top of the defense, he will find guys. More often than not, I think the biggest criticism of Myers is that he hesitates on shots I don't think it's entirely because he's hesitating like due to confidence in his shot. I think he's more trying to find somebody for a better shot. Right. A lot of those do turn into passes. To somebody who's wide open because the defense is rotating because the 45% three-point shooter is wide open. Mm -hmm. And so defenses are left scrambling. And I think it backfires, and I know people have their criticisms of Myers, but I think the same is true with Nurkic when he gets in the mid-post. Because teams are are daring him to shoot, and in doing so – they're giving him all the space and freedom in the world to make a pass. So you think that they're that they have a higher ceiling than they've shown, and it a lot of it uh, comes down to we haven't seen the best of Nurk yet. Yes, and I think Dame and CJ playing off ball just to give the defense a different look. And I think this would be huge to do in third quarters because teams are going to a struggle. When they're not showing their crunch time defense, that's when they're going to blitz Dame and CJ. Mm-hmm. So if all and of that's when Nurkic can go wild. Yeah, if all of a sudden you're planting in the back of their head that hey, here's our counter, we're going to show it to them right then and there. Then come fourth quarter, they're thinking, well, do we blitz and trap now and put the ball in Nurkic's hand and he's already rolling offensively, both passing and scoring? Like if that's what you're going to live with, well, the chances are you're going to live with somebody getting a wide open back cut in crunch time. Or Nurkic getting isolated on one of your weaker defenders because you're pre-switching. Those are the things I think, those are the wrinkles that I think can make Portland a better team. Okay. I think your energy drink is kicking in. You're getting pretty excited. (laughs) No energy drinks tonight. Oh, wow. No, no. That's that's just pure Blazers excitement. Well, that's exciting. uh, If I can get the carbon, now I can't get the carbonation. That's, That's my sparkling ice little water drink here. Okay. Well, we're moving on to a question from DeBrain, who actually had a, many questions sent in. I'm just going to pick off a couple right here because we've got a lot of other ones I want to get through. First one is, what has contributed the most to Nurk's transformation from up and down to consistent production night in and night out? Is there an assistant coach or maybe a specialist coach that Nurk hired? Do you have any information on whether or not they're doing something different behind the scenes? Uh, I don't. I, I think it's just Nurkic growing into it. Mm-hmm. We've talked about it plenty of times. Nurkic came to the game of basketball a little over, you know, age of 14. Mm-hmm. He, he hasn't played basketball for 10 years yet. Yeah. Mo came to it late as well, by yeah. the way. Yeah. I mean, this, I, I think this is just him growing into it. Now he's, he knows his role. Here's the thing. We were worried about what contract Nurk was going to be. Well, right. contract Nurk looks like he's comfortable because he knows his financial security is there. He knows his role is there. Yeah, I think he. I think Nurk is like we. Nurk is one of those players that now that he knows that he's wanted, that yeah. meant a lot to him, and so he could settle down into his role. And what you were just describing about him 
you know, uh, going off if people are, you know, blitzing Dame or he's the one who's able to have the strong or if he's the one who's able to get the triple double. I want that to happen against Denver so badly. You know who else wants that? Nurkic. <laughs> I know. I was super disappointed at their uh, the one Denver game they've had so far this year. So I really, really want him to bring it the next time. I It might take a couple of tries, but I just I want that to happen so bad. Yeah, Nurk in that game, I think, concentrated too much on yeah. keeping Jokic down. And he could have been better defensively on the help side. He was entirely focused on, I'm going to shut this guy down. Because Jokic's impact was pretty minimal in that game. Well, so. we know that, that Nurkic kind of gets in his own head. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's doing it less so. But that was a classic kind of thing that I think he, he just needs to practice. I mean, his box score is still good. I think he had 17-11 that game. Yeah. Like, he was yeah. still effective, but I think he could have been better for the team. Um, I mean, I'm not much for standing over, but if Nurkic could stand over Jokic, I would be very happy. <laughs> oh, I want, I want him to hit him with the Iverson. I want him to step right over him. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess, we, do we call it a Hazonia now? <laughs> yeah. I would be all for Nurkic doing that. Okay, let's move on. Uh, DeBrain also wanted to know yay or nay for the for the Dame Fives. Do you have any opinion okay. on the, yeah, the yeah, yeah, Dame yeah. Fives? So, I, I, listen. Make I, it short. I, I know. I, I listen. I love that he did the colorway for his mom. That's cool and everything. Seafoam green is just not for me. However, the Chinese New Year red, black, and white ones that he wore against Minnesota—that is a must cop. That I, I, I am going to get them. I saw the prototype versions of them. What was it five, six months ago? I just—I wasn't really feeling it. But these, I, I, I'm getting a little bit more behind. And every single pair of bands that I've had have been phenomenal on court wear because that's the only thing I, I buy basketball shoes for anymore with the exception of, of my air force ones like basketball shoes only get on basketball courts so i, I i'm old and washed and i don't i don't do the uh streetwear basketball shoes anymore but yeah no i i'm, I'm definitely digging the dame fives i loved the uh i, I like the seafoam green ones and it's weird because there's like one t-shirt in the in the t- trailblazers t-shirt shop that's also that like really light seafoam green so i don't know where it comes in but it really stands I out exactly <laughs> where the shirt comes in from that's rick at Graphletics and a mm-hmm. project that he did with them where he did different eras uh using that era's kind of colorways or that period's colorways and the blazers um logo from that time period so there's a 70s one there's an 80s one and there's a 90s one so shout out to rick Athletics. so um if you see those in the, in the uh, team store, that's that's where those come from. Well, they would look super cute with the uh, sugar uh, colorways that Dame the, just did. The sugar G? Yeah. So Cody Tarbell has a couple questions. The bench was outscored last night. Is the Blazers bench showing us what they really are, or is this a funk they can get out of? That's the first question, and the second one is a Christmas-related question. So let's go with the Blaz- with the basketball-related one first. Bench was outscored last night. Are they in a funk? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, there's some up and down with the bench rotation right now, but I also think Stotts has shortened the bench rotation leash that we've talked about with Damian Lillard getting more time, CJ McCollum getting more time. Um, I've had people ask me why Nurkic doesn't get more minutes. The simple answer for Yusuf Nurkic is he's seven foot, two hundred eighty pounds. I, yeah, and I think that we. I don't think we need to have the expectation that they're going to be like the best or like the top scoring. Like, I think the fact that they're so much better than they've been at the past is what we really need to hang on to. And again, think about like what you were saying, like how the team is built. This team isn't really built to, you know, have people not named Dame or CJ or, you know, have the ball in their hand a whole bunch. Evan Turner will hold on to the ball, but he'll hold on to the ball when Dame and, Dame and CJ are still in. So I don't think it's ever going to be that, like, they're going to have one of the top, like, scoring benches. But I think they can have a really effective bench, even if they're not, like, you know, ranked the highest because of their output. Does that make sense? No, I mean, I, I totally get it. Yeah. I mean, that's just... That's just the reality of it. Okay, so let's let's take a look at just – I wanted to highlight this about, about Nurkic. If you go to NBA.com and you look at players that, um, that weigh over 275 mm-hmm. um, and the minutes they're playing, first of all, there are only, what, five centers in the entire league who are listed above 275? 
Yusuf Nurkic is number two in minutes played. The only other one listed at more than 275 is Andre Drummond, who plays 33 minutes a night. Hmm. So, and if you go to guys that are at 250 or more, and I kind of giggle when I see this as I see Anthony Davis is listed at 250, and you're telling me Nurkic <laughs> is only 30 pounds heavier. But Mark Gasol's at 35. Joel Embiid's at 34. Uh, Steven Adams is at 33. And again, Drummond's at 33. DeAndre Jordan's at 32. DeAndre Ayton is at 31. Vucevic, Jokic. Okay, you're just going down the list now. No, no, no. Just we got to move on. But that's what I'm saying. Like There are seven or eight guys in the league who are remotely close to Nurkic's size that play slightly more minutes per night. Mm-hmm. That's it. So anybody wanting to see, could Nurkic play a few more minutes? Probably. But I would rather see 28 minutes of really affected Nurkic as opposed to 34 minutes of slightly less affected Nurkic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes he goes out really strong and gets himself a little gassed at the in the first half, which I appreciate the en- energy and hustle. But he, you can see sometimes that he does get a little tired, you know, with yeah, his that, hands on his knees and everything. That's the point I'm making with the bench right now is that things are a little mixed up with the rotations. Working Mo in, working Jake back in. Uh, Evan Turner obviously had a little bit of soreness and is in his Achilles. I think ultimately this is still going to be the best Blazers bench that they've had in probably a decade. But they're going to have their ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. His second question is, is it, is it cheating to use an item from home you don't want for a white elephant party? And I think there's usually like pretty clear rules about that, like where they tell you like that you can bring a gently used item to a wet white elephant party or if it needs to be a new or handmade item. Do you have strong thoughts on white elephant parties? I mean, no. Okay. All right, then I'll handle that one. You just sit back and relax. That one's your lane. Okay. I got another we got another one that's in my lane. Uh this one is from BlazerFan72. And the question is which Hallmark Christmas movie is the best one? And have the Blazers turned a corner from their two week slump? And whose mustache is or was better? Layman's or Myers? So I'll go ahead and take the first part of that question because I don't I'm not sure how many how much time you've had to watch Hallmark Christmas movies yet this this season. Um, I got to I got to be honest, not a lot of memorable ones this particular season. We're currently in the countdown to Christmas. There's been a, a couple of good ones, but I'm hoping that what they've done is like save the really good ones to get closer to Christmas. My favorite one is, I think, the Holly Inn, but that's from a couple of years ago. So I'm still waiting to see a new one that is as good. Okay, now the other part of the question, which I will take, is whose mustache is or was better, Layman's or Myers? That's a really tough one. I think I'm going to have to go with Layman's. Layman stumbled into his. Myers purposefully grew it. Mm -hmm. I I think you have to give the nod to Myers. Yeah, I don't know. That whole explanation from from Layman about accidentally having a mustache is weird. And I I think that he secretly wanted it and is trying to uh, push it off as an accident. As as someone who has has made a mistake with a razor before, Mm -hmm. I'm a little more likely to believe Mr. Layman. I'd done that before, actually. When I was in college, I used to... When you were growing your mustache? No, in my hair. I used to have super, super short hair, like, like basically, like, you know, like an inch or whatever. And when I was in college, I was going off to spend the summer uh, traveling all throughout Greece. And so right before I left, I was going to, you know, do my super short haircut, but I forgot to put the attachment on. So I started shaving and like, I was like, what is all this hair falling off? And I realized I had like completely shaved the back of my head. Like Sinead um, O'Connor that one. Huh? Exactly. But I was like, that's yeah, in the back, whatever. <laughs> funny story Europe, about nobody Sh- cares. <laughs> funny story about Sinead O'Connor. I once said Russell Westbrook looked like Sinead O'Connor with one of his outfits one time. Sinead O'Connor yeah. bassist liked and retweeted it. Oh. <laughs> I was like, who is this person with a blue check that just retweeted this? And I was like, Basis for Nationated O'Connor. Wow. What they the must hell? also be a Russell Westbrook fan. <laughs> I was like, I don't know, man. That went in a whole direction I wasn't expecting. I, I wasn't expecting it either. <laughs> so the third part of the question is, have the Blazers turned the corner from their two-week slump? Oh, God, I hate that question. I don't know. I mean, it's it's what's, uh, wanted, it's, it's, what's I, on everybody's oh, mind. Nobody's oh, not thinking it. I know, but that whole turn the corner thing, because the second you say yes, they <laughs> drop just some craptastic game. You're just like, oh, for the love of God. Um, 
No, they have not. Um, because one game does not make it, because I'm not even counting the Suns game. Right. Um, but they have shown that they can do what they were doing at the beginning of the season. So they've shown they haven't completely yes. forgotten that. Yeah, and I think we'll know more in a week and for sure in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Because Houston, Memphis, Toronto, L.A., Memphis, Utah, Dallas, Utah, Golden State, Golden State, Philly. Yeah. That's your next group of games between now and the new year. Like, you will know where this team is by the new year. Right. If they, they come out above 500, I think then we can talk about it. Um. Yeah, I mean, they don't have to win them all, but they have to not get blown out. That's what I... I don't want any more blowout games. They have 11 games between now and the end of the year. I don't want any more losses by 43 points. (laughs) You know, you just don't want to get shellacked on any of these because. Yeah. I want them to be in, you know, within reach with competitive. Yeah. And the thing is every one of these games with the exception of Philly is against a team who is vying for a playoff spot. Warriors, Jazz, Mavericks, Grizzlies, Clippers, Rockets. So you've got Phillies vying for a playoff spot. Or you mean because they're not like in the lower echelons? No, no, no. I'm talking about Western Conference. Oh, okay. They're all they're all Western Conference teams that they're vying against. Yes. So I I don't think the Clippers are going to keep up the whole number one seed stuff. I think the Jazz are better than they've been to start the season. The Rock about Houston. (laughs) I mean, which version is going to show up? I mean, the the next game against Houston on Tuesday, that team could just as easily beat Portland as Portland beats it by 30. Mm -hmm. Like, I I think that's that's a weird, weird game to look at. Yeah. No, Houston, Houston's done. Houston's done. Yeah. Hey, (laughs) it's getting late. I'm just saying crazy things. I, I like it. (laughs) <laughs> let's move on uh jason clark are you interested in trading for Ariza? what do you think is a realistic package that portland could send to phoenix gerald borgett borgett suggests harkless and simons what do you think oh i could send a package but i can't say what would be in it this is a <sighs> so fam- no this is a family not interested in Ariza. i do not want that dirt bag on this team are you still mad at him because oh, of Rudy absolutely. Fernandez or is it other things? Oh, there's, there's a litany of things. There are two okay. players that I never, ever, ever want to see in a Blazers jersey that are currently active. Patrick Beverly and Trevor Ariza. There's a difference between a goon and a dick. Those two guys are dicks. Okay. They, they, they purposely have gone out of their way to injure people in the past. And I do not want that on this team. And you ever. don't want that on this team. Ever. Like, if you want to talk about a, one of the Morris twins who were goony, cool. That's, that's fine. Listen, I'm not fans of theirs, but I get the, the whole mentality. Beverly dropped a forearm shiver on Dennis Smith Jr. just the other day and knocked down a tooth and then grabbed him by the scruff of the neck to move him out of the way. Like, <laughs> you don't think he was gently holding him up? Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I do the same thing with a kitten. <gasps> Grab him by the scruff of the neck and put him in the you know, throw him out or whatever. Like I was just like, are you kidding me? And Ariza, it's not just the Rudy thing. Like he's he has done things throughout his career. Like he has a resume of just doing downright dirty things, undercutting guys in midair, being one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so no, there's no package that I would give to like getting off of year of Maurice Harkless or one of the other contracts that has another year beyond Ariza's is not enough of a reason for me to even closely consider moving for that guy. No, a reason for Ariza. Nope. <laughs> Next. Okay. This is from my friend Gee. Why'd y'all have to beat up them little Timmer puppies like you did? Hi Gee. Sorry. We won this time. Okay. This last question. 17, three run to close the game. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I address. We haven't addressed, like, you know, the fact that, you know, those poor Timberwolves fans did have to endure just a hellacious a hellscape at the beginning of this season. So I'm glad for them that they have moved beyond that. And I'm also glad for the Trailblazers because they beat them. <laughs> sure. Like, now the things that they've righted the ship in in Minnesota, we can go back to beating them without feeling too bad about it. 
Last yeah, question. I it better when they had uh, winning streaks against Minnesota that just seemed to date back to the 1800s. Yeah. Well, you know, that team had to get better at some point, I guess. So just as long as they're not better than the Blazers. Okay, Colby McLaughlin has the question of the night, which I think is yes. fascinating. What type of owner do you want to buy the Blazers? If you were to... if. If you were brought in as an advisor to the new owner this summer, what would you say? Okay, first of all, let's talk about owners. I want an individual owner. I want one of these super rich billionaire playboys to be the owner of the team. I I don't want it to be an ownership group. I don't want the infighting that we've seen in Memphis and Sacramento between those. Um, I I don't think that works. I want the Jeff Bezos's the um what's the guy uh ellison the the founder of oracle i want the stupid money i want so that. like some big tech giant yes i want the paul allen type person to be that owner i want it to start and end with them i want their vision to be the vision carried out i don't want mixed messages um and i want as a raiders fan who has to endure mark davis and whether or not he has enough money to pay players i never want that to be I never want money to be a concern about how the franchises run. Like I get the idea of being in the black and being a profitable franchise. I get that idea, but I don't ever want there to be a question about does he have enough money to continue with the franchise? I I want that stability. As far as advising a a prospective owner, one guy, that'd be a hell of a position to be in Two, um, you'd just be the guy in the hat. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really right now. Like, they're in a position where the, uh, at least for me, there aren't a lot of options because of where they are financially to make a lot of changes. I think that I still believe that if you're going, if you want to fundamentally change this team, it starts and ends with trading CJ McCollum. Um, I, I don't think there's a lot outside of that you can do. Um, otherwise you're, you're, you're hoping and praying um, that something falls in your lap. Like we, we, we know the stories about Portland being interested in, in putting a package together, at least for Paul George. Um, I had heard that they went after multiple free agents this year with the mid-level exception, the mini mid-level exception. They just didn't have the money to do anything otherwise. Um, personally, as far as advising goes or, or anything along those lines, I'd want to know what the plan is for Damian Lillard long-term. Mm-hmm whether or not you believe that he's the foundational key piece that you're going to continue to build around and whether or not you're going to stand by him. Like that would be where I would want to start because this is, this is my biggest question about prospective new owners. Do they want to come in and put their foot, their, their fingerprint on the franchise immediately? We saw what they did with the Clippers, all of the money they threw at Chris Paul, Deandre Jordan, Blake Griffin. Well, where are those three (laughs) guys at now? And then showed him the door. Steve Ballmer flipped everything very, very quickly. And look, really, they've done worked pretty, out pretty well. They've done a pretty good job considering the hand they were dealt. Right. Well, and some of some of their success was due to, you know, some of the people that he brought in to, in the front office. Yeah. Remind me again, who was it they brought in? Oh, that's right, Jerry West. Mm-hmm. Huh. Weird. It's almost like that's a continuing theme with him. Um, <laughs> But that's the other thing is like, who are they going to surround themselves with? Would, would the new owners, and here's, here's the thing with new owners, new owners typically want to bring in all their own people that starts top to bottom. That's new coach. That's new GM. That's new, um, uh, business operations. I mean, it's everything. Would they want to keep on the new staff? I would advise strongly to keep Terry Stotts as head coach. I want to, when, when was the, Okay. Before the Clippers got sold, who else has changed ownership? I guess Houston. Houston, the Thunder. Recently, Thunder. How many of them changed their coaches? Because Doc Rivers was Doc Rivers was still there with Balmer, wasn't he? Yes, because Doc did not want there was that whole thing with Sterling, so. right? And now there hasn't been any changeover nope. in Houston. No, but there was had- there changeover nope. in OKC. There was change over in Houston. Antonio hasn't been there that long. Yeah, but the the ownership just started this year, didn't they? I mean, I'm not saying that Dan. I'm yes. not saying that that one couldn't change. Yes, but, but 
but so also, far, the new owner came in and they did not clean house. No, but Houston, I think, was in a different position. It's, that was an owner who just didn't want to own the franchise anymore. Mm-hmm. That wasn't, you know. But still, they haven't changed. They haven't blown everything up yet. Yes, but but I it's think, but it's very early in the game. And what about OKC? Yeah, they also changed. I mean, pretty quickly. I mean, you you had you George mean Carl and you mean like did. But I mean, but after the whole move, they they haven't had any changes in ownership, right? No, no, no. Clay Bennett's still the owner. Right. So really, that's the example that we have of massive changes over a sale. Yeah. I mean, if you look across mo- really any sport, that, that, that's kind of been the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just them wanting, being more comfortable, being with, more familiar with people that you know, right? Yeah. Well, so, yeah, I mean, I just, I'm not sure that that's necessarily a pattern in the NBA. With I don't want to just accept that without questioning that one because NBA is a little bit exceptional and it could be totally the truth I just want to like I'm not quite sure I completely think that it's necessary that someone new is going to come in and they're going to change everything it's it's like it's good to prepare for but I mean look across any anywhere in business it's typically the same you 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 want to take and keep your key signature pieces the ones that you know that are doing well that are respected around the league or respected around in business, wherever you're at. But there are other places where you typically want to see changes. So I think that would be, as far as advising goes, um, that would be kind of where I wanted, where I would like to start. So do everything you can to keep Damian Lord. If you want to blow it up, then you're going to have to get rid of CJ. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, if, if you if you're wanting to make a, a big time change, I think that's the that's only the place, place to start. Yeah, I think that's the only place you can really look. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, then uh, yeah, I, I'd like to see somebody come in much the way that Houston is being run. I mean, the other thing that Houston has is they have an MVP, and then they have a, a future Hall of Famer and Chris Paul, and you've had Daryl Morey, who's revered around the league as possibly, if not the best, one of the top three GMs in the league. Like, so I, I think that's, that also plays into another reason why you would not just learn, look to move away from Maury uh, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see how Houston finishes out this season. For me, what type of owner do you want to buy the Blazers? I mean, the, my natural inclination is that like, oh, somebody from the Northwest who gets it and understands what it's like to be, you know, the outpost out here and all by ourselves and that we're different or whatever. There's no but shortage it, of Northwest tech billionaires, though. <laughs> right. Well, they could also come from Silicon Valley. It's just like, you know, a couple hour flight. They could easily live down there and and commute up here. So... But, you know, I also want to be, like, super open to, like, new possibilities. I'm not wild about the idea of a group because, like you were saying, there could be infighting and there can be ugliness and there's just that many more people to have to corral. So I like the idea. I would love it if there was, like, a pro athlete who wanted to buy that. I think that would be so awesome to have. Um, there's just so few. That have made enough money yet. Yeah, because, like. Can LeBron actually play basketball and own a team at the same time? Is there any I, rules against I, that? I would assume that there is something in the season <laughs> that prevents that from happening. Um, but I, from what I've, from what I understand, the valuation of the Blazers right now is anywhere between one point two and one point five billion. Uh-huh. And I don't think that includes the Rose Quarter. So the money necessary, the capital necessary to buy buy that franchise, is substantial, mm-hmm. and yet it has to be. If if a professional player like a former Blazer who has a ton of money um, or something along those lines, like they would be a minority shareholder. And I'm not against a minority. Like if somebody, let's say some tech billionaire, let's say Bezos mm-hmm. on Blazers, and he was the majority shareholder. Let's say he owns 98% of the team. I'm okay with. If some, having some face of the franchise exactly, owners, exactly somebody uh-huh. who's here low, like let's say it's, it's Terry Porter for example. I, I don't think Terry has that kind of money laying around, but in case he did, if he was the guy who was the day to day visible guy who's talking to people, if I had a if, if I have a criticism or had a criticism of Paul Allen, is that even though he was visible, you you hardly ever heard from him outside of his yearly kind of sit down meeting. Mm-hmm. I would like to have a little bit better line of communication with ownership. That That's about the only criticism of Paul and I ever had. So if that were the case, I think that would be the, the best way to go about it. If you had an owner 
who wanted to be more hands off. Is, is that kind of what you would look in that? Yeah, no, I don't think that there's any athlete that, you know, pro athlete from any sport. I think it could be from any sport. It could be like, you know, one of those soccer players that makes all their billions of dollars or whatever. I just like the idea of an athlete being at the helm and whether or not they're like the controlling owner. But if they're the, but I, I would like them to have input and impact on the team, like with their experience of being an athlete. I think that yeah, would be interesting. I mean, that, that sounds about right to me. And I'm not sure what advice I would have for any new owner. I'm sure I could come up with it. What I would do is I would provide them with a list of terms that anybody who's going to be in new to the Northwest or Portland talking about Portland needs to know the list that did not get delivered to Kevin Calabro when he initially took over. And he was out there saying things that I can't remember off the top of my head, but he was saying stuff when he first came here that was like, oh, my gosh, you might have said that on Seattle, but don't say that in Portland. So <laughs> if we have a pet tech millionaire from Seattle, I would like to provide them with a list of terms to use carefully. Let's just say. <laughs> <laughs> All right, All right Dan, we got to we got to wrap it up. OK, fine. We got to we got to call it quits. We still got to get this thing uh, uh, edited and, and posted for tonight. So no, you um, need to get this thing edited because of yeah. my continuing deck issues. Yes, yes. But your, your new microphone sounds great. So that's good. Wonderful. So you can find me at TCB Biggs on Twitter. You can also find the Hoops and Talks podcast at Hoops and Talks. The next Hoops and Talks meetup is going to be Monday, December 17th. I think I may have said the 19th before, but it is Monday the 17th against the Clippers at McMinimans on Broadway. That is the stats about me. Why don't you remind everybody about Blazers Edge Night and then take us out of here. All right, folks, you can find me on social media at DMARANG, at D-M-A-R-A-N-G for any questions, comments, concerns, or you just want to shoot it, talk basketball. Um, quick update, Blazers Outsiders Joe Shane and I on NBC Sports Northwest every game night before and after every game for the pre- and post-game show, and we are continuing to, to be down at the Rialto, just outside Pioneer Courthouse Square on 4th. We've had a bunch of people come down during the show. Uh, for the last couple games, it's been absolutely awesome getting to just talk with everybody and just have fun watching the game together. So I, I encourage everybody to come out there. We have some really cool guests coming down. Uh, you heard me talk about Graphletics earlier. Rick from Graphletics will be down there Tuesday for the Rockets game. And Kerry Eggers is going to be live to talk about his new book, Jailblazers, Wednesday after the Grizzlies game. So if you have questions, comments, concerns, or you want to talk to Kerry about his book, uh, that would be the perfect opportunity. Uh, the big one here, obviously, is Blazers Edge Night. March 25th against the Brooklyn Nets. It is a huge, huge night. Over 2,200, I believe, is the number we're shooting for this year. And that is a massive number. Uh, last year and the year before, it was about 10% of the motor center that we went to fill. Now we're going over that. We're getting closer to like that 15% number. And I can't wait for the day when, you know, the entire arena one night is all Blazers Edge night or just whoever night. Um, where nothing but people who wouldn't get to normally have an opportunity to see a game get the chance to because of people like you who are willing to give and donate and make this happen. So season of giving, please, if you have the opportunity, click on any link at the bottom of uh, Blazer's Edge right now. You'll see, you'll find a link there for or the link to the Ticketmaster site, or you can go to Ticketmaster and go to buy tickets uh, at blazers.com. Use the code Blazer's Edge, and it will take you directly to the checkout where you can then donate tickets, I believe, anywhere from the 200 level on up, uh, as low as $10 uh, per ticket. So, again, if you have the opportunity, please, please, please donate. Um, I think we're going to try and put together something up here, at least, at least I am, where we have like a, a little bit of a ticket matching. So um, look for that in the coming future. So um, other than that, Tara, go ahead and take us out here. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We are part of the Blazers Edge uh, podcast feed, so like us, subscribe us, all of that good stuff. Have a great week, and we will catch you next time.